Welcome to Some Assembly Required, a bi-weekly design podcast where we discuss a range of topics from tech, industrial and product design, and sustainability. I'm Pablo Samuelis. And I'm George Wyeth. We're both product designers from the University of Sussex. And this is episode 13, Disassembled, the final episode from season two of Some Assembly Required. Last episode, we had an in-depth chat with our lecturer, Emmeline, about her specialisms of design for accessibility and UX and user experience. Be sure to check out that episode and any others that take your fancy after this. So here we are. We have made it to the end of season two. Congratulations. And thank you, listeners, for joining us throughout this adventure. Yeah, we kept this one going on longer than we initially planned when we started it. But it's it's been a good season. Yeah, it's been loads of fun. And of course, we will always be back in September or October-ish next term, next year, this year, this year, next term. <laughs> yep. All of those things. All of those things. And we're very excited to see what is coming. Definitely want to get more guests on. Uh, we've had a lot of fun with guests this season. We have. We've had some brilliant guests. It's always interesting to to grab some different people's perspectives, things that we don't know as much about ourselves. I've learned a lot. I have too, absolutely. And it's fun when you, you know, we go into episodes with a bit of kind of discussion and having researched a little bit, but we often end up kind of chatting off base based on that. And especially when we have a guest, we really come out learning new things, even though we've already planned to some extent. Yeah, we've kept it pretty loose. And I don't know if it maybe it stresses them out when we come on, we come on and we're like, yeah, we don't really know what we're talking about. You just, just have a chat. But no, it's yeah. been fun. I want to know what it's like from their experience, but so far, you know, our feedback has been positive and those episodes have been well received. So I think, you know, it's fun. Yeah, no, I think it's been going well. So to take us back in time, season two began in October of 2020, a very different time, although in many ways, a very similar time. I was going to say it's really not that different. (laughs) It's a different year. Yeah, that's about it. It's a different year and... We were just in a lockdown or just about to go into a lockdown? I think we were heading towards a lockdown in October, weren't we? Whereas we now were. we're just coming out of a lockdown in the UK. Yeah, we are. Freedom approaches, to some extent at least. Mm. Um, anyway, so yeah, our first episode of season two was on COVID. And we talked about the intersection of the global pandemic and design and how society has changed, has adapted and kind of how it's affected the design industry, but also how kind of design has come to the aid of solving issues. Yeah, and we sort of chatted a bit about how the world's going to be redesigned after COVID. Yes, and we are incredibly excited to probably be recording in a real studio as of season three, which will be incredibly exciting to, you know, be face to face and have some serious chats, bring friends in, have them sit down. I'm looking forward Mm. to it. And not talk over each other, which we have have had the issue of online. Oh yeah, the amount of editing that's required. Ooh, right yeah, there. Yeah, editing's doing right. <laughs> maybe I'll leave that bit in. Maybe, maybe we'll need to. But yeah, you know, we talked about social media, we talked about working from home, and we talked about where the world would go. And I think a question for you, George, is, you know, have what, what's changed since the start of the pandemic through now in terms of technology? And what's going to last? Mm, well, I mean, Zoom, everything, everything online is has changed doesn't it that's the big that's the big ones i mean how are we it's it's it is quite strange though, isn't it we're, we're sort of starting to come out of the pandemic well the lockdown anyway because we, we actually got to see each other face to face the other week for the first time yeah since we did last march which was nice i came down to brighton 
But I mean, even that is quite weird, isn't it? Because you're just, I, I mean, I say it's weird, but it's also become quite normal. Like we were just putting masks on here and there and it just, I didn't really think, you don't really think anything of it now. But if you cast your mind back to early 2020 or 2019, that would be so weird to walk around and just see everybody in masks. Oh, absolutely. I think on the design side, it's really interesting that I think everyone approached the pandemic with the idea that these are all temporary measures and once it's over, we'll go back to normal. But I mm. think as we titled our episode, A Whole New Normal, the the standard for normal has changed. And obviously people are going to have in-person classes and meetings and offices and whatever, but events that used to be in-person, online is now going to be a feasible and highly considered alternative. Yeah, well, I know a lot of offices and workplaces are going to more... I think it's going to be more flexible rather than just like remote, so you don't yeah. have to be in the office every day, which could be good things. Yeah, I, I like the idea of flexibility. Mm. No, I think it's got its benefits. But yes, we chatted a lot about that in, in that first episode, and I'm trying to cast my mind back to what we uh, all the intricate details of what we said, but I'm wondering what's changed maybe in our perceptions since then. Well, if you're interested, listen to that episode if you haven't already. <laughs> yeah. Perfect time to binge the entire season. I don't know if people binge podcasts, but... I'm not sure. I feel like certain categories of podcasts you could binge. Yeah, true crime. We're not a, we're not a crime podcast. Yeah, the more the ones that have a st- overarching narrative through them, probably a bit more binge-worthy, but hey, binge our podcast if you'd like to. Absolutely. But the, the issue with us saying that on episode 13 is that people aren't going to binge it because if they're at episode 13, they've already finished it. So hey, if you've just finished binging the podcast, thank you. I exactly. You thank it. you very much. So yeah, we went on from the pandemic to skeuomorphism and skeuomorphic design, which is design that mimics the aesthetic of, you know, real things and familiar things that have existed in history. And it's a very mm. interesting concept because it's interesting watching it completely disappear from what is considered the modern design standard and now kind of come back. Yeah, well, we talked about skeuomorphism then leading into flat design and us now having neomorphism, which is like a blend of the two almost. So yeah, That's the word. I was wondering what the word was. <laughs> it's been a while. But yeah, that was, that was a fun one. We talked about like iPhones and apps. It was quite a lot of UX because that's from where it came in. When technology was first developing, they wanted to put things in that people could recognize as real world things, that they understood its its concept. Yeah, and that makes sense. And it did work. I mean, you can think about all the UX elements that we just know and exist as being like the save icon is the save icon and the trash icon is the trash icon. It doesn't actually matter what it is anymore, but it... It you know it, the connection to the real thing is lost, yet the value of the symbol is very important. Yeah, I mean, I, I we probably mentioned it in the episode, but it's you know we're using Google Drive and Google Docs, which is literally a piece of paper and all those different sort of things. Yeah, it raises the question how how would technology look if skeuomorphism had never been approached, and it ties well into how quickly technology has changed, which believe it or not was episode three. <laughs> what a segue that was. Yeah, so we uh, we chatted about how how fast technology is moving and whether it's too fast for some people to keep up and the pros and cons of that was a uh, was a fun was a fun sort of thought experiment episode almost. Yeah, very interesting, and it definitely you know raises how do different people approach and deal with technological changes because you know if, if you're obviously always looking at the forefront of technology, it's very easy for you to shift. But if you're a person who uses technology just for function, it's a little harder because 
you know, suddenly you buy a new thing, but all of the IO, all of the interactions have changed because it's been a decade. Yeah, you sort of buy, you buy something and you get used to that. And if you're just not paying attention to the changes that are going on, suddenly if that breaks and you have to go and get the new one, it just doesn't work. That you like you've learned how it works basically. Yeah, things things jump quickly, and I mean, again, we you know considered like what policy requirements are needed to keep things a safe and secure and private, but also to keep things from going obsolete and being unrepairable and all of that happening very quickly, which quite tied well into our right to repair episode that we did last season. Yes. Yeah, that was back in season one. I think it was probably around episode five or six. Episode six, I just checked. Um, yeah, to Wait. fix or not to fix. We talked about the right to repair, which of course ties very quickly into the speed and movement of technology because you have to allow for new things to be developed without restricting creativity, but also making sure that everything is repairable and open and sustainable. Mm, it's a very difficult debate. There's so many pros and cons of all, all sides of it. Absolutely. But there you go. Two episodes you can listen to to get some thoughts. So we then moved on to episode four, where we introduced our first ever guest to the show, which was the wonderful Thomas Heisman, who joined us to talk about sort of the history and design of the world's theme parks. That was a fun episode. I enjoyed that one. I really liked this episode because unlike the other episodes with guests we had, which were also absolutely wonderful, I knew genuinely nothing about this topic. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I did some research prior to the episode, but I, it wasn't something I was particularly aware of before that point and thomas had a lot more insight in it because he'd done his dissertation around mm. the history of theme parks yeah and i i mean i had not um I, i've not i'd not been to many theme parks so i literally had very little not even personal anecdotes <laughs> of knowing things about disneyland uh and it was super interesting we talked about the history and how they came from kind of victorian pleasure gardens which are a very completely different thing and how that morphed into theme parks and amusement parks yeah and we talked about the way that they sort of engineer your entire day to be like you're transported to another world which is of course a very deep and important part of design it's kind of weird that we can call that user experience even though it's very much not digital yeah user experience i mean sort of in the name isn't it it's just it's the experience of a user it's very broad and Theme parks definitely are about experience. So. Yeah, they sure are. And from there, we, you know, thanked Thomas and for a wonderful episode. And we went on to talk about sustainability and, you know, kind of, we talked about some sustainable design stories, basically. Yeah. So what did we talk about? We talked about lab-grown meat. Mm -hmm. That was an interesting one. Um, we talked about bioplastics and bioleathers, so kind of sustainable biomaterials. Uh, we talked about Marina Tex, which is made by Lucy Hughes, the product design graduate here from Sussex. Yep, and then we talked a bit about the German Rail Network's trialling the use of hydrogen powertrains, all of which I've sort of, they've all been um, new, uh, new articles and new discussion about since we recorded that episode, so they're definitely ongoing ideas. Mm. It would be interesting to revisit some of them because, like, I don't know, wh wh where is hydrogen-powered trains now? Because that is something that I had not heard of. I barely understood when we talked about it. Mm. Yet I imagine progress may well have been made since, you know, December. Yeah, well, actually, interesting. I was reading an article quite recently 
that was about hydrogen-powered airplanes. And now there is obviously a fairly famous instance where hydrogen-powered flight did not go well. Um, mm-hmm. But no, there's a few few companies that are looking at it. There was, I think it was Boeing. Well, it was either Boeing or Airbus, one of the big ones. Um, yeah. were looking at the ways that they could create hydrogen-powered um, aircraft. Would they be aeroplane style, or would they be a completely kind of different design? Well, this is the interesting thing. I think they had three concept designs, and two of them looked like pretty standard aircraft, like the like how we look at them now. And the third one was more like a sort of triangle shape, a bit like a stealth bomber, if you know that that sort of design. Like it was that shape, a bit mm. more bulbous, but um, yeah. So it was hydrogen power could be maybe 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 the trials on trains. Who knows? Maybe that won't be where they end up, but planes interesting. could be. I think it'll be very interesting to see if you know trains or planes or really any mass transport design that hasn't changed in many years has some you know dramatic change. So you know, aeroplanes all kind of look the same. Um, yeah. But, you know, what, what, when will we see the first like twin cabin, twin hulled biplane? Not biplane, but two planes next to each other with one long wing between them. <laughs> well, like a catamaran, but in plane form. Yeah, plane catamaran. Like, when's that going to happen? Or two planes on top of each other? I don't know, like, some kind of ultra-efficient gliding mechanism. Mm. Well, there was also that um, SpaceX idea from a a couple of years ago, wasn't there, about having basically rocket ships where you could go from, like, London to Sydney in, like, 45 minutes by just going really high in the atmosphere and coming back down again. Yeah, those are definitely being thoughts too. <laughs> Don't think they're as economic or, you know, doable as mass market, but yeah. No, probably not. But the aerospace industry is definitely one that's gonna gonna change. Oh yeah. Climate change it's really got to, hasn't it? Absolutely. And let's just see what nudges it in that direction. Because next uh, hey. episode uh, hey, was nudge design. Yeah, and they might even nudge you through the uh duty free whilst you're going out of there. Ah, there you ah. go. Try and get just a little bit more money out of you as you go through that airport but yes nudge design uh behavioral economics and we talked about how things are made to make us think and do things yes (laughs) that is a very broad way of describing something but there's no real Mm. better way to do it no it's that was pretty much it it's it's just designs that make you sort of subconsciously act in a certain way whether that be positive or negative. And we discussed the uh, the ethics of that and whether that's good or not in that episode, which was interesting. Yeah, we talked about both. We talked about it being used to, you know, make lots of money. Uh, we talked about it being used to help things and change things, but also make people do things they probably wouldn't want to. Yeah, or make you pee in the toilet rather than around the toilet by putting a small fly logo in there. Yeah, absolute conspiracy theory on that one. <laughs> That was a fun episode, and uh, yeah, if you found that interesting, then I uh, would nudge you to go and listen to that one. As would I. <laughs> so next up, we went on a, uh, a short trip to a nearby planet, the red planet that is Mars, as we were talking about the touchdown of the Perseverance rover and its little buddy, Ingenuity. Yes, and at the time, Ingenuity had not flown. Yeah, and it has now. And... Uh... We've seen some pictures that it's taken. We we saw the first little video a couple months back now of it taking off and landing back down again. And yeah, there's been some brilliant pictures coming from that that rover and its 
that oh, dual yeah. drone buddy. Amazing footage and some kind of quite cool science being done. It'll just all depend on, you know, what happens with further research and see if we can either people or, you know, slightly smarter robots to do some further analysis in the next few years. Yeah, they've not they've not found any signs of life as of yet, but they found they found plenty of interesting things. Yes, very many interesting things. And this reminds me, I, I want to plug a TV show, uh, For All Mankind. Very good. And it is a retelling of the space race if the Soviets had been the first to the moon. It's very interesting. We are not sponsored by them. No, we're not. But we, but we happily would be. What channel or streaming service would you find that on? It's on Apple TV. So we're not sponsored by Apple, but we would be happy to be. Um, yep. Not that they do that kind of thing. And <laughs> yeah, if you have an opportunity to watch it and you like space things, I would recommend it. George, I'd recommend it to you. Yeah, that sounds up my street. Uh, but yeah, Perseverance, the rover, the parachute had an encoded message on it that was very cool because a bunch of people figured that out very quickly. And we talked a little bit about some challenges of getting humans and humans themselves onto Mars. Mm. And then we return to Earth to bring in our second guest, Kai Morton. This episode was fascinating for me because I really didn't understand the crypto world at all. So it was a really interesting conversation with Kai who is a crypto artist selling her digital artwork as NFTs. And we talked all about sort of her experience of being a crypto artist, what that's like, and NFTs as a, as a thing, what's going to happen to them. Mm, we went really in-depth into kind of all sorts of things. A, the obviously experiences of crypto artists and some of the troubles they deal with, but also some of the things that they have been enabled to be able to do. And of course, we did lots and lots of discussion into nfts and how they interface with copyright which is a very kind of complex broken system how they work with their environmental concerns as well as you know various other issues that were raised and i think we had a really interesting productive discussion that was much more focused on like how the technology is going to kind of inspire new better things because Mm. obviously in of itself is not perfect and isn't sustainable but it has created the groundwork for some very kind of cool changes to the digital art space yeah, it's it was one of those things. It was as I say, it was a really fascinating episode. Just getting a a sort of a sight into that world, you know. There's there's so much debate in in all forms of of whether cryptocurrencies and NFTs are a good thing. But it's you know it's always interesting to just get a bit of perspective on how it works. Absolutely, and thank you so much, Kai, to joining us. Um, it was a great start to kind of you know we'd had Thomas in. But he's a fellow radio guy, so you know we were we were kind of close, and we knew the podcasting interview format well. And I think that really successful episode of Kai kind of inspired us to just go crazy with guests for the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah, we did a bit. But it's yeah, as I said, as I said at the start, it's it's been really fascinating getting guests on. Absolutely. So immediately we got in Claire Potter, our wonderful lecturer, and we talked about the circular economy, which in of itself is a huge topic. Yeah, she one of the modules that she teaches, which Pablo will get the joy of learning next next semester. Um, but yeah, she teaches the circular economy, and in that, I know she says that she can barely fit all the circular economy into that semester's worth of lectures. So our little forty minute um, podcast was a bit of a whistle stop tour 
through the ideas of it. And we just sort of chatted around the concepts and how us as individuals can act to live a bit more sustainably without you know too, being too stressed about it. Just the sort of day-to-day things that people can can do to improve without having to become a sort of social activist. Absolutely. We had a, I mean, we had a huge discussion. I think we talked with Claire for like three hours um, and we trimmed that down to an episode's length and we touched on the important bits. And I'd really, really, you know, if, you, if you're going to listen to, if you haven't listened to every episode this season, don't at all feel obliged to. But if you have missed one and it is this one, listen to it. Yeah. I think it's a very, very in-depth, important episode. And Claire was a wonderful guest and she's an, an amazing expert in her field. Yeah, we're very, uh, very privileged to be able to be taught by Claire and even even more privileged to get her on the podcast. So yeah, definitely check it out. It was a fantastic chat. And there's something that everybody can learn and sort of implement their own lives from, from that one. So it was cool. Mm. We then went on to talk about Kintsugi, which is a Japanese repair art of pottery. And this is really interesting because it tied into me using Kintsugi in one of my university projects. Although this topic was one we had noted down before we started the show i believe yes it would have been actually because as a fun anecdote the reason that i noted it down was because i was so i actually remember doing it because it was when i was walking back from uni to my house um and i was listening to gabrielle aplin's newest album that had come out at that time and she had a song on it called kintsugi and that's what made me think oh we should do an episode about kintsugi so oh wow i did not know that no i didn't i hadn't told you that but that was just Fun little anecdote. Yeah, so there we are. We we put that note, we noted it down and we thought, mm, we'll talk about this at some point. And it just happened to coincide with me using it in one of my projects that was very interesting. So we talked about it and it's got an amazing history as kind of golden lacquer being used as a crafting material. And it supposedly came from the 15th century when a Japanese military commander broke his favorite tea bowl and he sent it to be repaired and he had local craftsmen do it with gold. And mm. yeah. It, it kind of built this entire aesthetic of finding beauty and imperfection and highlighting the flow of time and life and life cycles. Yeah, it's quite a philosophical sort of yin and yang um, idea. And yeah, it comes up with a really cool aesthetic. Yeah, looks absolutely beautiful. And then we kind of took a turn and talked about design failures. This episode was fun. I, I really enjoyed researching this one. It was looking at looking at the dumb side of design yeah this was a favorite and of course we talked about the oscars the la la land moonlight moment yep which boils all the way down to a bit of typography and over planning from the oscars yeah serious over planning and it was really interesting because you know i obviously knew that it happened uh, i remember the news articles but the amount of detail that you had written down like basically a minute by minute retelling of what happened and how things occurred yeah no, it was there's there's quite a few accounts of it online um, that I found, but yeah, it's it's just quite a it, it's a whole comedy of errors. Absolutely, and we you know we talked about some others. Talk about Google Glasses, uh, Nike Magneto, which was supposed to be glasses that were glued to one's temples. Yep, and I just think that's so ridiculous. But there we go. They thought it'd be cool, and yeah. um, they were wrong. We talked about Juicero, which was the $400 juice press that um, did the same thing if you squeezed the bags by hand, and it was all proprietary and expensive and ridiculous. We also talked about a few a few little things. That was actually a really long recording, and so we got a bit carried away with that one. Uh, so we had to cut out a couple topics, but I think now would be a great time 
to give you all that little bit of extra content that you missed out on because of our editing down to time. Yeah, yeah, take take some extra clips. We have a couple of special mentions before we wrap up this episode. And uh, I know one that George wanted to mention, partly because of the funny quote that from Museum of Failure, are oh, phone fingers, which were basically finger condoms to avoid getting fingerprints onto your phone screen. And they look hilarious. I mean, they don't look like obviously like condoms. They just look like strange rubberized socks for your finger. Okay. Uh, but anyway, please read this wonderful quote because it's a good one. Uh, like regular condoms, phone fingers came in a variety of sizes and colours, although we're not sure about ribbed or studded. And like condoms, they could be difficult to put on, which threatened to interrupt the mood of using a phone. Regardless, a flaccid response and soft sales led to a premature end for phone fingers. But as you can see from our museum, it happens to a lot of guys. Yeah, that is just a geniusly written paragraph. <laughs> it was great, yeah, it made me, made me chuckle really a lot. Is. So that's a good old flop, that one. It is indeed. And, you know, interestingly, these aren't, like, these are a thing. So finger uh, cots, basically, are little finger covers that are usable in many different situations. They are legitimate. You can get them on Amazon. You can get them. There's a Wikipedia page. Uh, They can be used for sex reasons, but they can also be used for medical reasons. They can be used in workplaces. I know, like, a lot of chefs sometimes wear them if they have a cut on their finger. And don't want to, you know, get any. Oh food. yeah, I have seen those in like MasterChef. To be honest, yeah, people use them in MasterChef, or like if you work with little electronics, like, or if you're kind of a delicate, like a watchmaker or an art conserver, you might use finger cut cots while you touch something. Um, they have, yeah, they have a lot of use. Basically, is it not easy just to use a pair of gloves? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> um, I'm not expecting you to know the answer. Just the, the the argument on Wikipedia is it's used to cover one or more fingers when a glove seems unnecessary. So I imagine is if you want, like you know, gloves slightly restrict your dexterity, even if they're really thin latex ones. So if you just have it on your pointy finger, yeah, I guess then you can have it on what, like a certain finger that's usable to touch that, and yeah. then the other fingers for yeah, I guess so. I guess. I don't know. It, it does seem like they have a fairly limited use. Um, yeah, it's niche. There are also toe ones. Oh my god. Which is usually, if you like have injured your toe, um, you put one on. You know, it's, it's, it's usually for like a wound, basically. Um, but still, they just, yeah, they're funny. And they do exist. And they were used most recently in the COVID-19 pandemic for US voters during the election. Oh. They put a finger cot on before they touched the touchscreen. I mean, that's a decent idea. Yeah, so there was a widespread use of them. It, to be honest, it's quite a good idea as a, as a wound cover. Because it's really annoying if you get a cut on the end of your finger and you try and wrap a plaster or a band-aid for our American listeners um, around your finger. And it, you, you just end up with it like sticking out because it's, it's a really difficult shape to get around. So it's actually not a bad idea, I suppose. It's not a bad idea at all. Honestly, if we were back at the beginning of the pandemic, and thank God we are not, um, having just discovered these, I think I'd buy some. Yeah, I might be tempted. Because I could touch uh, street crossing buttons. Yeah, you could just have one in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or just just wear it the whole time. Or that. Could be a fashion yeah. accessory. Anyway, uh, other things that existed are um, the Sinclair C5. I don't actually know exactly what that is. Um, 
so it was like an electric bike, sort of. Well, no, I guess it's more like an electric trike, I guess, um, mm. with subtle car aesthetics. And it was supposed to be the next personal transport innovation. Oh, Christ. Sorry, I just looked at an image of it. They're so silly. Yeah, it's awful. It's from the 80s. Uh, it was awfully slow. Um, battery life was useless. There was no storage space in it, so you couldn't like put your groceries in it at all. Um, and it was actually very dangerous on the road because it was so low down that car drivers and stuff couldn't actually always see them very easily. It had a 20-mile range. Yeah, it, it, it flopped. A 0.34 horsepower engine. Yes. Jeremy Clarkson famously on Top Gear, I mean, way before he got kicked off of it, um, way back, he, he sort of tried to test it out again and me- build his own, um, make his own better version. So you mm. might have seen pictures or clips of that in memes. Um, but yeah, it, it, was, it was a complete flop. It looks like you can get them on eBay for about two to five hundred pounds. All right. Okay. I mean, interestingly, again, it could be a sort of one of one of those things which is just ahead of its time. Um, we're we're seeing a lot of personal transport, electronic, electric um, innovations nowadays. Probably not going for this style. I think electric scooters have solved that problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's in the same. I guess it's fulfilling the same issue as things like electric scooters and electric bikes to some degree. Yeah. Basically. Um, but it's just in a very 80s style. I mean, if if we watch the, uh, the little trailer for it, or advert, I suppose, not trailer, it's um, it's it's rather rather entertaining because <laughs> it's got that 80s um, style. And yes, just, it's clearly a terrible product. Well, those were some extra clips from our Design Failures episode, which are sceptical, to say the least. We rounded out the season by interviewing another one of our lecturers, Emmeline Brulé, who is a wonderful person and focuses on accessible design and user experience. And she is a just, you know, huge amount of knowledge that she has. And she can, you know, link you to stories, studies, research projects, concepts. It's brilliant to work with her. And we talked about uh, design for accessibility and how important it is for us as designers to consider accessibility all the time, but also how it affects the general population and um, and how it's something that kind of everyone needs to be aware of. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear that sort of uh, narrative of how accessibility can be done better, how it can be improved, what some good examples were, and and also how it's, how it, how it's quite complicated and, and difficult to get right, but it's always just a sort of continual evolution of finding these little things that make life easier for everybody. So that was mm, a really absolutely. interesting talk. And we, we talked about it in, you know, ranging from physical spaces, such as the Ed Roberts campus, all the way through to like video games and adaptive controllers. And yeah, it, I mean, accessibility kind of hits everything and it is something that is under discussed within design and engineering. Um, beyond the kind of legal requirements set out by governments, which are never sufficient. No, and that's often the case with a lot of things. So it does fall down on communities a lot of the time. It does indeed. And that brings us back to here. Here we are, episode 13, end of season two. It has been a wonderful run. I hope you've enjoyed the couple of bonuses we threw in there. And I think we will no doubt be also throwing in some 
outtakes and bloopers of all the times we fumbled our words because neither of us are eloquent. Uh, absolutely not. We've we, the amount of outtakes I could pull just from this episode of us fumbling our words is enough to fill up an entire episode, probably. Absolutely, but you know, there we go. It's it's a it's a necessity. Put it that way. Um, in podcasting, is to edit things together, make things sound good. So yeah, we'll throw in a couple of those extras. But thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Yes, thank you very much, everybody. It's been a great season, and here are some of those little funny bloopers from this past season. Enjoy. And you, you, eh, let me read that sentence again. Whether that be positive or negative, and we discussed, discussed, discussed. And we rounded out the season by interviewing another one of our lecturers, (laughs) what the echoes of it will be. Good pun there. Yeah. Really not a pun, just saying design, but there we go. We're we're fine. We're fine. COVID hasn't ruined us at all. We're fine. Welcome to Some Assembly Required, a bi-weekly design podcast where we discuss a range of topics from tech, industrial and product design, and sustainability. I'm Pablo Samoilis. Is George gone? (laughs) (laughs) I think his internet might have cut out. And I'm George Uh, Wyatt. There you go. Sometimes our recordings don't go quite as smooth as we'd hoped, just like when my internet died as we were just about to start recording. But yes, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a, a really, a really interesting season. I think we've made some pretty, pretty good improvements from season one, and we're we're constantly learning as we're going. So thank you for joining us for this journey, as some might say. Some would say it's a journey, but who knows? Mm. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for listening. And of course, as we take this break, share the podcast around, you know, tell people that there is a, you know, depth of some, what, 12 and 13 episodes of two seasons ready to be listened to at any time, anywhere on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So yeah, share it around and get some people excited. We will be back with some new exciting episodes. I'd like to get uh, guests of various of my course mates as we all start to work on our final projects. Yeah, definitely. To talk about all of their different specialties because there are going to be many of them. Yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a friend of ours, or you know, you know us, or even if you don't know us but you have an interesting topic that you want us to talk about or want to come on and talk about us, do reach out. We'd be more than happy to have lots of guests come on and talk about all sorts of things because, yeah, sometimes sometimes it takes a guest to mention something for us to even think about it because we can't Absolutely. think of anything. We really can't think of anything. So yeah, just, you know, <laughs> drop us a line. Drop us a line. Is that what people say? Drop, drop us a line. Hit us up in the DMs. Any of those. Um, you can send us a carrier pigeon if you would like. Yep. Uh, don't send me a carrier pigeon. I tend to move around too much. Yeah, that might be... Yeah, it'd have to be a carrier pigeon, a very long-range carrier pigeon to get over the Atlantic. It would be. But George can take carrier pigeons quite easily. <laughs> There's plenty of pigeons around me. Yeah, just make sure they don't get confused or lost. Mm, please don't poo on our greenhouse. <laughs> well, yeah, um, there we are. We will be back and we're excited to be back and we're excited to keep going with this. So make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. They're not going to be any episodes for a while, but you will not miss them when we return. Uh, <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode and the whole season, anything, you know, share them. Let people know, and 
you know, give one to your chinchilla as well. Have we had a chinchilla before? I don't believe we have. Right. Yeah, let your chinchilla know too. Um, they they need to be educated on the uh, depths of accessible design. Mm, definitely do. Really, really necessary. That is a social movement that needs to happen. Uh, unlike videos and blogs, we don't have an algorithm helping us, supporting us. So we rely on word of mouth from you guys. Yes, we do indeed. So please do follow us on Instagram at assemble.it and we'll be posting some of our own work, sharing, sharing behind the scenes stuff on there. And of course, we'll be sharing updates on the next season uh, when we've got more details and announcement dates for you on there. And also remember to, you know, get in touch with us if you're enjoying the podcast or leave a review on your podcast app of choice. That helps us as well. It does indeed. Leave a review, post it to your Instagram story. We'll, we'll see that. We'll repost it. Very exciting when people do that. Um, so yeah, we'll see you in a few months with season three. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends, family, co-workers and your chinchilla. Thank you very much for listening. That's a goodbye from me, Pablo. And it's a goodbye from me, George, and to have a lovely summer or winter if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. Indeed. Have a lovely summer or winter and enjoy a few months. Farewell. <laughs> Farewell. Some Assembly Required is co-hosted and produced by Pablo Samoilis and George Wyeth, and edited by George Wyeth. Music is by Mikey Wurtwistle. This is a 7-6 podcasting production.